Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Clay, if we haven't met before. And this morning, my purpose is clarity. Who would like a little clarity? Good. Okay. All right. I've got your number. Um, I want to start this morning by sharing a little of what I brought uh, uh, in a message a fortnight ago in the evening service. And I want to, I want to start with that because uh, I know that not everyone gets a chance to go to the evening services and not everyone is downloading uh, the messages every week. And I think what I shared a fortnight ago does bring some, some context uh, to the rest of what I want to say. And then what I want to do is just clarify a few teaching points that we've been bringing over the last several months. Uh, and and we know from a number of conversations we've been having with people around our community that, uh, that some people are confused about some of the things we've been talking about or not quite sure what that means for them. So hopefully I can clarify a few of those things this morning. Does that sound okay? All right. Through sermons, life group discussions, and in face-to-face dialogue, God's plan is being shared with the church here so that the Spirit can position us to become the people of God that we were called to be and fulfill the purpose he has planned for us. Now, we've been asking people all over the church, what have you been hearing? Uh, what do you think God is doing here? And what, what are you going to do with that? Or where are you at with that? To those questions, we've been getting some mixed feedback. Some people like the idea of God building his church and shaping us into the likeness of Christ and the impact that that might have on the world around us. But they are also hesitant to commit personally to the process because they don't know what that process is exactly. They don't know what that might look like for them. They would like to see some more details. A map would be nice. A strategic plan would be better. An instructional video would really nail it. Other people are struggling with the idea of new revelation because they aren't getting the revelation personally. Some people are thinking that it's okay for Greg to get all these words and visions, but what about me? If God wants me to do something, then he will have to tell me himself. Well, if only the kingdom of God worked like that. Firstly, I'd just like to clarify one point there. There is no new revelation. Okay? Something is new for us if we've not received it before. Okay? So I have received things which are new for me, but they've been in Scripture the whole time. What is new is my attitude. What is new is my ability to see what was in there in the Word the whole time. And that's a normal thing. It's a normal thing to miss stuff in Scripture. It's not till Luke 24, uh, verse 45, at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, that it says he opened the minds of the disciples so that they could understand the Scriptures. So up until the, uh, that point when Jesus is actually resurrected from the dead, up until that point, they didn't have a clue what the Scriptures were saying. 
But then, as Jesus commissions them to their ministry of building a church, that he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. So yeah, I've been reading the scriptures with a mind that's been closed. So revelation that was there the whole time is now kind of new and fresh for me. But we're not preaching anything that is not rooted and established in the word of God. Okay, so whenever you hear new revelation from up here or around the church, remember this. It's not new to scripture. And if it is, we want to know about that. Okay, not here to make anything up. All right, so. If only the kingdom of God worked like that, you know, that we all received everything individually. And God spoke to each one of us personally about his plans for the church And he always gave us a detailed program of everything he was going to do and how he would do it and when he would do it. If only God gave us a clear, full-color, high-def, 3D video with 5.1 sound, subtitles, and director's commentary on his plans well in advance. That would be convenient. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because then we wouldn't need faith. Faith is such a troublesome thing. It would just be easier just to know and not have to exercise faith. Living by faith is far too risky. It's far too stressful. But no, (laughs) that is not how the kingdom of God works. Is that a surprise to you? The kingdom of God doesn't work by committee. It's not a democracy. Our opinion doesn't actually factor in at all we don't take a vote on whether we're going to follow god's plan there is no referendum god speaks god moves the prophetic and apostolic gifts he has blessed the church with discern his voice and his movement and greg and the elders lead us into the next step of god's revealed plan that is how the kingdom works I've been in the church for 23 years now. And I spent 20 of those making my own plans. Determining my own truth and following my own path. Because of my own unrepentant attitudes, I was never able to submit to the authority that God raised up in the church. And I don't mean just here. But I mean in every church that I have worked in throughout my career. I was never able to recognize the God-ordained and biblically expressed means by which God speaks to his church and leads it. And so, unsubmitted to authority, not sitting under apostolic and prophetic gifts, I did not have the humility to receive God's word from an anointed brother or sister. And so I didn't receive his prophetic word at all. And so I made it up for myself from my own interpretation of scripture. And I made do with that. And somehow in that, I thought I was more biblical. God is looking for people of faith with which to build a church that will transform this world. A church worthy of his son, Jesus. Those people need to have faith in him 
and in his spirit on those around them in the church. Because it is God's divine and perfect will that he would work through broken and imperfect people. And in that, he is glorified. And so I don't follow Greg. I follow the God that is in and on Greg. The God that has called him, raised him up, and anointed him to lead this church apostolically. The God who speaks to him, who gives him words and visions in the same way that he always has. The prophet Amos, chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. I'm not a prophet. I'm not an apostle. But those gifts, they are among us. They are in the church. And God is revealing his will and his way through these gifts. And if you have ears to hear and a humble heart to receive, then God can speak to you as he is patiently persevering to do. In Numbers chapter 13, we read the story of 12 spies. 12 spies were sent to explore Canaan, the promised land, and bring back a report to the Israelites in the wilderness. Of those 12, 10 saw without faith. And all they could see was obstacles and giants and numbers of fighting men and defeat. Only two saw with faith. Only two saw the blessing that God had for them. Only two believed that God would lead them on and give them victory. It was the voice of the ten that was the loudest. And those ten led a revolt against Moses and against God. And as a result, that entire generation died in the wilderness and never got to claim the promise that God had for them. I want to be led by people of faith, people of vision, people who hear God's voice and see with prophetic eyes. And I can't filter that prophetic testimony through my own logic and reason. Because in my own intellect, I would respond exactly the same way that the ten without faith did. They saw the physical reality. They weren't telling lies about giants and about numbers of, of fighting men. They weren't, they weren't making it up. They actually reasoned out what is the most logical outcome in the flesh. Without God, Israel probably would have been defeated amongst all those nations in the promised land. They received all that without faith. What Joshua and Caleb saw was God with them and what it would look like with God with them in the land. Intellect is a good thing, but not when we put it over faith. 
not when we put it over the prophetic word. Because the prophetic word from God was, this is your land, I am giving it to you. All those arguments in your head that talk you out of what God's prophetic word is, think that's God using your intellect to protect you? That's the flesh. So I need to, I need to resist the urge to filter all prophetic word through my mind, through my intellect. Because I give that free reign and I'll reject everything he says. Because God says crazy stuff. You read the Bible? He says crazy stuff all the time. Jesus died, but rose again, and now he rules over earth from heaven, but he's here with us now. There's a Holy Spirit that is in all of us. Uh, That's crazy talk. From your mind. I, I totally get atheism. I totally get it. There's a few points I'd like to argue on there, but without the Spirit of God, without faith... None of it makes sense. We need faith. I need to receive the apostolic and prophetic ministry in this church with faith. The filter that God has given us is his written word and the discernment of his spirit speaking within us. God is not saying whatever the leaders of the church say, whatever the prophets say, good, just do it. He is, it tells us to test everything by the Spirit. And he commends the Bereans in Acts 17 because they uh, searched the Scriptures with eagerness. Well, they received the word with eagerness, but then searched the Scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. You hear anything here that is contrary to God's word? You need to come and have a talk to someone about that. When you see and hear without faith, you fear and you run. We are not called to have faith and follow. We are called to have faith and follow whether we know where we're going and what it looks like or not. And as it turns out, the destination, the place where God is leading us to, isn't a place at all. It's a person. God is leading us into a deeper revelation and experience of himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the more of him we know, the more we will be transformed into his likeness. And a church transformed to the likeness of Christ is the only church that can do any good in this world. Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The goal we are to fix our eyes on is not a room packed full of people twice every Sunday or a hundred hands raised at an altar call or a new church building or a promotion at work, or a bigger house, or a newer car, or a husband, or a wife, or a family, or a batch, or a boat, or a new guitar. 
or a degree. The goal is Jesus. We fix our eyes on him. We walk daily, step by step, closer to him. And along the way, we find that God will guide our path and make of us what he will. question for us is, do we really want any life other than the one he has for us? So what does all this mean for us? Well, I can tell you what it means and what it has meant for me. It has meant submitting to spiritual authority. It's meant letting the leaders God has raised up lead me. It has meant humbling my spirit so that I can receive God's word from all kinds of people. Even my little girls. It's meant learning to receive the gifting and ministry of prophets and honoring that gift on people. It's meant learning to have faith in the journey we are being led along even when I don't have all the details or the answers. It has meant reevaluating and realigning my priorities to put God's kingdom first and everything else second. It has meant learning to trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding, submitting my ways to him so that he may make my path straight. And that path is straight to him. That is the that is what this journey has meant for me so far. And I imagine a lot of us here this morning, it probably means something like that as well. So my challenge today, as it is to myself every day, is to let go of this world, let go of my plans, my ambitions, and just to seek him, to let him lead me, where he would, and to let him lead me through the people that he ordains. Does that all make sense? Okay. All right, so that's some of what I brought a fortnight ago, and I think it it brings context. Uh, maybe that's a, a place to start. I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to speak a whole lot longer, but what I wanted to do now is just respond to some questions that we've been receiving uh, in response to uh, some of our messages and some of the things we've been speaking to and hopefully through that give a bit of clarity on what we've been meaning. As I said earlier, we've been asking people, what are you hearing and how are you feeling about where we're going as a church? And some of the more common questions we've got back are, what is the new that we keep hearing about? What is, what is the change that you've been describing? What is the journey? That word's been used quite a lot. What is the journey that we're on? Uh, what does that actually mean? And I think all of those are fair questions. So I want to start with what's different. What is the new? Well, I can certainly share with you what's been new for me. Um, one of the biggest revelations I've come to in the last couple of years is the doctrine of the fivefold ministry. Doesn't that sound impressive? 
fivefold. Okay, I um got quite a bit of Bible college study behind uh, under my belt. I've been in God's Word for oh, I don't know for a, a long time, and the, the fivefold, I never heard of it. Whatever, the fivefold. Where's that in Scripture? Of course, you won't find the word Trinity in Scripture either. So, if you want to be throwing things out, do you want to throw that one out too? Uh, the fivefold ministry describes five gifts or anointings, graces, or offices, as they can be known, that God gave to the church with which to receive from him his will and word and equip the church to live in and grow into the fullness of Christ. And we find it firmly established in Scripture, starting here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Five gifts are singled out there and they have a common purpose. Building the church, building unity, helping people mature in faith. Most of us, I'm sure, have grown up in churches led by teachers and pastors, as this is the way with most churches. And we like teacher and pastor-led churches because they look after us so well. They work to meet our needs. True pastors love people. They can't help it. They love caring for them. They love taking care of their needs. They love making them feel better. They love giving them hugs. Simon, he's a hugger. Teachers make you feel like everything is just so biblical. They make you feel like you're learning something like, yeah, yeah, got something to take away today. And I've always felt drawn to churches that were like that, that were teacher-led because of my own personality, my own preferences. Teacher-led churches felt right because the teacher used the right words to stimulate my intellect and build my store of knowledge. So yeah, when people are in charge of appointments in a church, people tend to vote, and I come from a church background where you vote on stuff, People tend to vote on teachers and pastors. And when I say pastor, I don't mean the title pastor, which is pretty arbitrary. I mean, you know, the, the gifting of pastoral care. People vote for teachers and pastors depending on what their preference is. But those are gifts which serve people. They serve the church. And because we generally have a consumer mindset, we'll vote for the one which serves our interests best. That's the way people appoint leaders. That is not how God appoints leaders. God showed us his way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm reading verse 28. God has placed in the church 
First of all, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, guidance, and different kinds of tongues. Oh, I've always loved 1 Corinthians 12. Always have. But I've never known what to do with this specific language, which I just didn't know how to interpret this. First, second, third. This is not a chronological order. There were prophets more than a thousand years before Jesus appointed apostles. The Old Testament is full of them. And there were teachers in the Bible too, long before there were apostles. This is not a chronological order. And it is not a ranking of importance. In Romans 12 we read, For by the grace given me I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. It's not a ranking of importance. It's a divine order of function for the building of the church. God entrusts his divine strategies for where he is sending his church, what he wants us to do, and how he wants us to do it to those with an apostolic anointing. He gives prophets words, dreams, and visions that confirm this and provide testimony to give the church faith to step into God's will. As we read in 1 Corinthians 14 from verse 3, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Then he appoints and anoints teachers to help the people understand God's word and pastors to build unity and community so that we can walk together into transformation and obedience of God's revealed word. Teacher-led churches are passionate about solid, biblical, exegetical preaching. They are searching for God's truth in his word. Prophet-led churches are passionate about discerning the heart, mind, and will of God through prophetic words, visions, and dreams. They long to hear the voice of God. Pastor-led churches are passionate about meeting the needs of people, for caring for them. They long to seek and express the love and mercy of God. Churches led by miracle workers are passionate about signs and wonders and moving in the power of God. Administrator-led churches are passionate about order and structure and systems and efficient stewardship of God's resources. All of those expressions of church leadership are good. They are godly. And yet they each reflect only one facet of the ministry of Jesus. He embodied them all. A fivefold church is apostolic and prophetic. It teaches accurately. It pastors with love. And it reaches out to the world with the gospel of grace. A fivefold church follows God's plan for building his church and honors and releases the gifts he has anointed in the church to see it done. 
the elders of this church have surrendered the church back to God that he might rebuild us according to his plan. And he has not hidden his plan. It is plain in scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In Ephesians 4, as we already read, God himself gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to become mature, attaining to the whole and full measure of Christ. So what is the change that we've been preaching about for months? Well, it's a change from man's plan for church growth to God's. And that means a new structure that sees the five church-building ministries, the apostolic, the prophetic, the teaching, the pastoral, and the evangelistic, operating in unity and in functional order. Does that make sense? That, that, have I explained that? Another change God is leading us into is a clarification of our mission. God has reminded us that his call on us is not to evangelize the city or take the nation for Christ. Our mission is to make disciples. For too long we have confused Christ's charge in the Great Commission to make disciples with one to simply engage with people with the gospel. As if saying a prayer to accept Christ was the mission. A confessed decision to follow Christ in response to the gospel is not the mission. It is just one stage in the mission. It is a crucial stage. But it is not the ultimate goal. Because one hand raised and one prayer to follow Christ does not a disciple make. Disciples know the Christ that they have surrendered to intimately. John chapter 10 talks about a good shepherd and his sheep know his voice and they follow him. That is what Jesus has called us to make. A disciple-making church is more interested in depth of relationship and spiritual maturity than numbers and seats and tithe receipts. A disciple-making church does not work to save people from hell, but to see people saved to a new life in Christ, a life of transformation into his likeness, a life of significance and impact, and an eternity of glory. We're disciple makers here. Another change God is leading us into is a clarification of what the goal is. This church has had a long history of good works. Global tribe, the work of zeal among young people, substantial mission projects in Mexico, and a number of incredibly innovative 
evangelism outreaches in this city and beyond. This church has a significant legacy that I knew from, from cities beyond Wellington. God has done great things here, and we honor that. But God is realigning us to what our mission is now. And our mission is not good works. And I don't want to in any way belittle what God has done through this place before. But sometimes, and I'm not saying this has happened to a lot of people here, but sometimes in the work of it all, we lose the reason for it all. God has called us to be something so much more than nice, friendly, generous people. He has called us into a transformational relationship with himself. There's a scary verse in Matthew chapter 7. I don't know if you ever read passages of scripture and kind of wish you hadn't read that one because it was easier when you weren't aware of that. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. This is a tough scripture. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 to 23. If you've been immersed in church ministry and that's been your career, the only career you've known, this is a particularly scary verse. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your, in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Oh. Works, ministry, even miracles. They don't impress God. He's not like, wow, how'd you do that? It's a cool trick. The things that we do, in his name or not, they don't impress him. They don't make him love us more. The scary thing is we can devote our lives to good works or religious works, which aren't necessarily the same thing, and not be any closer to God himself at all. Do not think that there are generous, sacrificing Muslims or Buddhists or atheists in the world. We haven't got that cornered. Good works are not our ultimate purpose. They are the overflow, the outworking of an intimate relationship with Jesus. Our love, kindness, generosity, compassion and sacrifice are a reflection of these things that we have found in him and are growing into. These are the fruits of his spirit alive and sanctifying in us. So we're not chasing good works. We're not chasing the next project. As a church, we want to chase him. And in a deeper transformational relationship with Christ, that stuff is just going to happen. And not because someone on staff planned a project. It's because the Spirit of God is alive in you, and because of that, you are kind, generous, compassionate, merciful, beyond yourself. And you don't then need a project to actually express that. That just becomes your life. Problem that I think this world 
has with the church is the only good they see from us is the occasional project. And the Christians they know in their actual life aren't anything like what Christians say they are. So we're not focused on good works. We're focused on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our goal is relationship, and that relationship transforms us and produces these expressions of love. Okay. That's three things that I'm experiencing in our transformation, in our journey, if you will. That's not an exhaustive list, but those were three of the things that God put on my heart that I wanted to share. I just want to finish just by clarifying a few words that have been thrown around, certainly by me, that I want you to leave just understanding what I mean, what we mean when we, we talk about them. Okay? Let's start, and we haven't got long to go. Let's start with the journey. I've had a number of people ask me, Clay, what is this journey? Where are we going? Uh, it is not a magical or mystical place. It is simply a metaphor for transformation. It's a metaphor. The place we are now is not a physical location. It is the sum of our attitudes, our grasp of revelation, our level of surrender to Christ, and our spiritual maturity. That's where we are now. Our destination, the other end of the journey, is... Uh, an attitude that is more Christ-like. It is an ever-growing maturity of faith. It is a deepening surrender to God. Okay, so it's it's who we are, rather than you know where we are. The journey is just the path from where we are now to where or to who God is transforming us into. The journey is just discipleship. The journey is just the process by which God is transforming us into the bride, the beautiful, sanctified reflection of him. Does that make sense? So you hear journey, oh, you think metaphor for discipleship. Is that good? Actually, just write that down. Just write down bullet points. Journey equals metaphor for discipleship. Okay, number two, the wilderness. This has been one of my things. The wilderness uh, that I've said over five messages that we're in, we're in the wilderness, oh no, we're in the wilderness, is a metaphor. Again, it's all metaphors, the Bible's full of them. Uh, The wilderness is a metaphor that uh, I've taken from the Exodus, that that period of time between Egypt and the Promised Land, where God led his people into and had them there for 40 years to transform them into the people that they needed to become to claim the promised land. Okay? The wilderness was a place for discipleship. The wilderness is not a bad place necessarily, but it is the story we find ourselves as a community now. It has been hard for a lot of us. But week by week, month by month, and year by year, God is transforming us into his bride. When I say it's been hard, some people have found it hard what they've been hearing. People have found it hard when dear friends of theirs, family, have left this place to be somewhere else. Uh, People have found it hard when structures have changed. 
Change can in itself just be difficult. But through all of our experiences, God is shaping us into who he's called us to be. And as was the story with the Israelites, it was easier the more they surrendered to God in that process. The more we fight it, the harder it is. Okay, uh, lastly, last one. Revelation. When we speak of revelation, we are just talking about truth. All truth comes from God. Jesus said, I am the truth. He said, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. God reveals this truth through creation, through the Bible, through Jesus, through prophets and apostles, and by his spirit. Proverbs 25 Verse 2 says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Jesus spoke in parables all the time, much to the consternation of the disciples who had no idea what he was talking about. The Pharisees knew the Bible so well they could quote it from memory. And yet they still had no idea what God was saying in it. All those sermons on Revelation were urging us to position ourselves to not only receive the revealed word of God, but also to understand it and allow it to transform us. That means understanding, for us, that means understanding the roles of apostles and prophets and teachers in God's plan for revealing his truth to the church. But also, it means grasping the heart attitude we all need of faith and humility. And so I was for years, years here at the rock, unable to grow into what God was doing here at the church because my heart was not humble. I had decided that I knew the word of God better. I could certainly explain it better. And because I hadn't heard this before or phrased this way, I decided to reject it as not of God because it wasn't coming through the intellectual filter that I had put in place. I was not positioned to receive anything new from God. And what I'd found when I actually reflected on my spiritual journey was that I hadn't grown spiritually in years. In my preaching, I was regurgitating the same old thing that I did 10 years ago, just more articulately. To grow deeper into what God had for me and for us, I had to do something to myself. I had to die. I had to kill my ego. I had to humble myself. And that, if you know me, was painful. I am a prideful man. But I took a risk in that. I said, okay, Lord, I will humble myself, but I need you to lift me up. And he promised that in Scripture, and he did. And now I see him, and I see his word, and I hear him speaking just all the time in the most bizarre places. What he has taught me about his love, the love of the Father, through my daughters, blows me away. I have insight now into what it means to have faith like a child because 
I've been able to receive from my, my daughters, from my children. I'm about to receive deeper insight into the prophetic word that has been spoken over my life as I accord honor to it. God doesn't want us to switch our brains off. But what do you think it means to love God with all your mind? Now, whenever I heard a message in the past that I thought even hinted of any anti-intellectualism, oh, that, that verse comes straight to mind. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, your mind. You've got to put your mind in there. Don't you tell me the brain's not part of God's plan. And I will get defensive instantly. And my walls come up, and I'm not going to hear anything else the preacher says because they threatened my intellect. Somehow I had the idea that loving God with my mind was rejecting anything that didn't make logical sense to me or was outside of my current understanding. How is that loving God with my mind? Actually, what do you think that means? What do you think loving God with your mind means? Because I had a real messed up idea of what that was. <laughs> it means surrendering your mind to him. Just like it does with everything else. <laughs> yeah, I know. How do you not how do you not see that? How does my mind not see that? It's actually the easiest, simplest interpretation of the scripture. But no no no, my mind takes it somewhere else to protect itself, to protect its supremacy. Mind's on top, thanks. Loving God with our mind means submitting our minds to him, allowing his spirit and his word to shape our thinking rather than our thinking shaping his word and the leading of his spirit. Okay. Gotcha. As I said earlier, in Luke 24, verse 45, we read how Jesus opened the minds of his disciples so they could understand the scriptures. There are people in this church that have minds opened by the Spirit to understand the Scriptures, and that is an anointing that we can all seek. But if we read the Scriptures with an unrenewed mind, we don't find Him. That's how the Pharisees missed Him. Now, I've been speaking here about what it means... When God reveals his will to the church. I've been talking about revelation in terms of God's word for the church. For, in, this, in our context, for the rock. Okay, I want to clarify this point. I am not talking about how God speaks to you. If you think that I go to Greg Simner to get God's personal revelation for me, I don't. I'm not dependent on Greg for that God speaks to me directly all the time I have a relationship with him what kind of a relationship would have to go through him or anyone else for that matter imagine that God speaks to me all the time he comforts me, he teaches me, encourages me the Holy Spirit is my teacher I get words I, I, the, the, the scriptures come alive jump off the page and I commune with God in that I, I hear from God through people all through this room through my family uh, God's constantly speaking, and I'm actually developing 
a greater sensitivity to, to, to hear his voice and to discern what it is. It's awesome. That's revelation. And, and I'm saying this is, that's completely different to the function of prophet and, and apostle in the church. That's about the meta-narrative that God has for us. That's about the church and, and our unity together. But you don't have to submit to everyone else to uh, have a personal relationship with Christ. But what I have found, my experience is, as I honor the gifts on others and submit myself to receive from them, I find God speaking to me a whole lot more than I thought he was. Because I'm positioned now to receive God through others. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just read the whole thing. It's not a long chapter. God has placed gifts over every single one of us for the edification of the church, for the common good. And the more that I honor that on other people, the more I can receive of God through them. I should think, man, God, where are you? Why aren't I hearing your voice? It's because I'd cut off every voice that he'd, he'd put there for me to hear. Except one. So all this other stuff was going on, and I, was, I closed my ears. No, 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 I won't hear it that way. I won't hear it from him. No, no, no. It's got to be on my terms, Lord. So I'd invite you. Revelation. I want to hear where God's leading us, Greg. And I want to do my part to help us get there. And more than that, I just want to press into Christ. Because I know the more I'm transformed to be like him, the more we become who he's called us to be. And that is our personal responsibility. You want to know what this means for you? It means a closer walk with Christ. If we all do that and put him first, I'm pretty sure the rest of it's pretty much going to take care of itself. Thank you. That's what I want to share.